I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. I was riding on the Mayflower when I thought I spied some land. I yelled for Captain Arab, I'll have you understand, who came running to the deck, said, boys, forget the whale. Look on over yonder, cut the engine, change the sail. Haul on the bowline, we sang that melody, like all tough sailors do when they are far away at sea. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us to talk about Bob Dylan's 115th dream, the final song from side one of 1965's Bringing It All Back Home, are Spencer Brainbridge and Alex Boyd. Hi, guys. Hey, Rob. Hey. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Yeah, we're happy to be on. All right, so Spencer, uh, you've been on the show before. You were on the show four years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. But you were on, you were on the show back in 2017 to talk about Thunder on the Mountain. Uh, Alex, this is your first time on the show. Now, of course, normally we don't have two guests on at the same time. So, I, you know, let's explain to everybody. Why are you guys on the show here together? Well, we uh, are a band. We call ourselves Old Hillman. Uh, we released our first album earlier this year. It's called Desert Driftwood. And uh, we've been friends since high school. And as you'll recall, when I was on the show four years ago, uh, we were talking about my backstory with Bob and how I got to be a fan. And I, was, I proudly bragged about how when I was in high school, I made a mix CD for my friend Alex. <laughs> and then since we taped that episode, Alex and I have started Old Hillman and made an album. And here we are. And um, so I decided to uh, force myself back onto the show to, to talk about that and to bring Alex with me this time. So Alex, uh, do you want to corroborate my story about the Bob Dylan fandom? You want to talk about how you became a Bob Dylan fan? Yeah, I, I can fully corroborate. So uh, in high school, Spencer and I took a drama class together and he was two years older than me and he used to bring his guitar in and play it. Um, and I, uh, I thought he was the coolest kid. Um, and he, because he, uh, he could play Mull of Kintyre, that the, uh, the, the Paul McCartney song. And um, he was horrified when he learned that I'd never really listened to Bob Dylan. So he made me a mixtape and um, the rest is history. So, I, I mean, I, I was taken right away by, by uh, how, how great his lyrics were. Um, and uh, uh, I wanted to kind of experience the Dylan catalog as if I was like discovering it uh, uh, as, as if, you know, uh, in real time. Um, so I actually made a commitment to kind of slowly work my way through the catalog and with like really deep listens of, of each album uh, as if each one were just coming, uh, coming out. Um, and then I got through to, to about Nashville skyline uh, with that. And then I kind of skipped around. I, I had heard mixed reviews of self-portrait. So, you know, I kind of skipped around with the really deep listens. And then since then I've, I've, I think I've covered, I, oh, I've definitely covered his whole catalog, but I think I've covered his whole catalog with pretty deep lessons. And uh, didn't uh, you listen to a lot of those albums while you were laid up with appendicitis? I think I remember you telling me that. Yes, sir. I was, I was in grad school and um, uh, the day before finals, I got an appendicitis and uh, uh, had to delay my finals uh, while I was recovering from, from surgery. And then, and then in the new year, um, like a month later, I had to like study for these exams again, and I was dreading it and try to make some do something to to make the uh, make the time go faster. So I actually sat down and I said, "Okay, I'm going to listen to his whole album 
from start to finish and see how we do. And that, that was actually the first time that I discovered that that Bob Dylan found Jesus around, you know, it was 1979. And I was, I was very confused where that kind of came from. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was fascinating to, to make my way through, through all the albums. And then, I, like I said, I've since done a, a, a deeper dive on just about all of them. Alex sent me some texts along his journey. He's like, Christian, what? And then like a few texts later, it was like, Empire Burlesque, I don't know. <laughs> So, so Spencer wanted you to get into this, and then you suspiciously got ill not long after that. I, I, I'm not trying to cause tr- friction in the band. I'm just saying, I don't know. I think this has all been a curse. This was, yeah, this, this, was, this was like six years later that I, that, I, that I mysteriously got ill. So I don't think it's the cause, but you know, that's, yeah. that's a good hypothesis. I'm just, I'm just saying, people can be given things that mimic appendicitis. That's all I'm saying. Again, I'm not trying to cause trouble. It's just so I mean you can Alex, it's just you and I right now. Let's pretend Spencer's not here. We can you can admit when he first came to you and was like, You gotta listen to Bob Dylan, were you a little like eye rolly? Like, all right, okay. Or were you were you uh, you know, you're open to it? I mean obviously you're open to it, but when I, I you know, I know that sometimes I have done this in my life where I've wanted to introduce somebody to Bob Dylan and I get a little bit of that like, mm, really? And you kinda have to push through that a little, or maybe you don't. Were you how, where, where, where were you when he came up to you and said, oh, you should listen to all this stuff? So I, you know, my, both my parents are English. And so they'd uh, brought me up in a household full of uh, like wings and, you know, like lots of Beatles and, and Super Tramp and even a little bit of Donovan. But I was always uh, told that like Dylan was kind of weird and maybe a little <laughs> bit druggy. And, and so, so, so it was never, it was, it, uh, Dylan was never played in my household. And so I was actually surprised that it was like, you know, coherent and like really fantastic songs. And so, so, and, and, and also, you know, like Spencer was two years older than me. I like kind of idolized him. So, you know, I, I, I actually brought this back to my dad and I was like, what? Like, dad, this is great stuff. Like, uh, like, you know, of course, the you know his voice gets a little bit takes a little bit of getting used to, but you know, I, I was I, I was in it for the ride. So, uh, in terms of the the band, uh, in terms of the old Hillman, so like, why don't you? I mean, I would assume that your influences are at least Bob Dylan to some extent because you're both here. But like, why don't you explain to people what kind of music it is that you guys do? Like, what are the, what are your sort of influences out there? Uh, I guess you'd call it folk rock, right? Is that kind of one of the things we've settled on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, singer songwriter. Yeah. I mean, we both love Dylan. We both love the Beatles. Um, Alex can speak to some of his other more individual influences, but you know, I'm into Warren Zevon and Elvis Costello, just those great distinctive uh, songwriters who used a lot of uh, humor, but also a lot of heart and tenderness. Yeah. And I, you know, I've got inf- more so slightly more modern influences in some of mine, you know, M Ward, um, Gregory Allen Isaacoff, uh, Boney Bear, folks like folks like that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, in 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 my songwriting, I've I've actually, you know, uh, one of the tricks that I use is to take someone else's song, uh, write new lyrics to it, and then put it in a drawer for a while, try to forget what the original song was that inspired that, and then write a new chord progression. And when you write a new chord progression, that kind of forces you to uh, to come up with a brand new melody on top of that. So, um, so I've, I've done that with, with numerous, uh, uh, Bob Dylan songs, like Simple Twist of Fate. I've, I've written a song that is, you know, has the sort of same vibe, but, you know, different melody, different chord progression. 
Uh, and I find that, uh, uh, that Dylan songs, because they, a lot of them have this, uh, you know, really nice structure. Uh, I, I use his songs a lot for that. Which he probably took from somewhere else. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he did, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say Bob does that, except sometimes he doesn't always change the chord progression. Yeah, he's, he's a little sloppier sometimes. <laughs> so they're just like, yeah, I'll just take that other song. That's fine. Well, that's yeah. that's really cool. That's amazing that, uh, again, that you, can introduce, you, Spencer, can introduce him to this, and then it takes off, and then you really love it to the point where you guys are in a band together, and it's inspiring. That's really amazing. Alex, what – of all the stuff as you were listening to it, um, outside of your your one line review of Empire Burlesque, uh, was, was there one era that particularly popped to you, or was it just the, the the sum total of it was like, wow, there's all this kinds of different stuff? I mean, it was it's really the early electric stuff. You know, I I love you know bringing it home, bring it all back home, uh, blonde on blonde, that that sort of era of stuff. Uh, I mean, which which is where you know this song comes from that we're going to be talking about today. I, you know, I felt like the, some of his earlier folk stuff, because it was unaccompanied, tends to be, um, I mean, it's, it's not as full of a sound because you don't have a, have a full band. So when I got to that stuff, I was like, yeah, here we go. Now we're rocking. <laughs> I, I love the idea, Spencer, as you mentioned that, like, as he was, Alex was discovering the stuff, he's, he's kind of giving you a running commentary as he's getting to it. Uh, that's got to be enormously fun because I would imagine, I think a lot of people had that reaction of like the Jesus stuff. Where did this come from? You know, that kind of like, what, you know, and you, you've of course been through it all and he's just getting to it. That's got, that's, that's gotta be really fun. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole genre of YouTube video now, isn't it? It's like a guy listens to the Beatles for the first time. Yeah, and, you watch yeah. his reaction. <laughs> and I think we could, that was an earlier version of that same principle. That's great. That's really funny. So Alex, have you seen Bob live yet? I have. Yeah. I actually saw him. Um, when I was a freshman in uh, college, so this would have been 2005, he did like a, a university tour. Um, and so this was, this was reasonably early, you know, I was, you know, a couple of years into Dylan, but hadn't done the sort of the really full uh, deep dive um, into his albums, or, or maybe I was partway through at that time. Um, and I remember, uh, I, I didn't know anything about his live performances. And so I didn't really know what to expect. I, I was I was just shocked that I knew like none of the songs because he changed all of them up. You know, it's seven seven minutes into a song, he kind of croaks like a Rolling Stone, and he go, "Oh, is that what this song is?" Okay, uh, so, but you know, I I, <laughs> I I enjoyed it. I'd heard earlier in that tour that he'd um, played a bunch of uh, uh, guitar, but he was he was just sort of like like off to the side of the stage you know, with a, a hat pulled low over his eyes, um, you know, like very much not the front man. The shoegazing Bob Dylan. Have you guys had a chance to play live? I mean, obviously you haven't done it recently, but have you ever had a chance to play live? Uh, pre-pandemic, we used to do uh, open mics at Madrone in San Francisco. But uh, no, I mean, our first album was almost made almost entirely and then released during the pandemic. So wow. we're, uh, we're kind of itching to do something one day. Yeah, our, our, our plan with the, with the first album was actually to have like a number of demos that we could start uh, distributing to local bars so we could, you know, get our first real gig because we were like, you know, we got, we got a whole catalog of songs. We're, we're ready to start playing. And, you know, this was, uh, you know, February of 2020. Uh, and so, what, you know, when, when March came around, uh, we decided, hey, you know, let's, let's take these demos and let's spruce them up and may maybe we'll, you know, release a couple singles and then that turned into maybe we'll release an EP and then 
eventually we found out that we had 12 songs that were were showtime ready so uh so it turned it into a full album and there wasn't a vaccine yet so oh hell we'll just <laughs> finish making the album keep this going the reason i ask is because i'm sort of curious as to to, to to people who have performed live especially performed music live i mean what do you sort of think of the i mean spencer we talked about this on on our episode but like the bob persona where you know he he's not there to entertain you outside of the music i mean he is just stand there play leave uh is that something you guys feel like you could do or do you feel like you have to have a little more patter on the stage or be you know uh, you can't be quite that uh, sort of stone-faced. I think we both have too much improv comedy experience to say nothing. A hundred percent true. I was yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's cool. That's great. Like I said, we'll have a chance to talk about the band a little bit more uh, at the at the end of the show. But so let's talk about uh, this song, Bob Dylan's 115th Dream. As I mentioned, it's the final track on side one from Bringing It All Back Home. Uh, this song, uh, this is this is an interesting song. Uh, well, I mean, all Bob songs are interesting, of course. Uh, but I'm sort of fascinated is of of all the songs to talk about. Why did you guys want to talk about the talk about this one? I think you brought it up, Alex, right? Yeah, I I think it's Bob's funniest song. I mean, I I can't think of a single song that that is more funny than this. You know, Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat. That's a that's another pretty funny song. But like. I, I I think with this song, I, I kind of go through waves of thinking it's um, hilarious, thinking, uh, uh, really loving the sort of twists and turns and weirdness of it. And then sometimes I feel like it's kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like something you'd hear on Dr. Demento. Like, they asked me for some collateral and I pulled down my pants. It's just the wildest lyric. It's so hilarious to me. It is it, of Bob Dylan's uh, quote unquote funny songs. Uh, around this period you've got like i shall be free uh which i think is pretty good and then there's i shall be free number 10 which i'm not a big fan of and motorcycle nightmare which i'm not a huge fan of uh this one i like a lot this is one of those songs that every time i don't play it a lot uh i like it but it's this is not one that i play a lot and then when i dug it out for the purposes of this recording i had forgotten this damn thing is almost seven minutes long (laughs) and you would think on paper a goofy song like this, which is a kind of shaggy dog story that sort of uh, circles back on itself by the end, really shouldn't be seven minutes. You would think it that it would wear it. out its welcome, but it doesn't feel that. That's the amazing thing. It moves at such a great clip uh, that it doesn't wear out its welcome. But you would just think, good Lord, seven. This song is longer than like a Rolling Stone, you know, like uh, barely. But I mean, still, like, really, you would just think a song this goofy would not would, would collapse under the weight of being that long and yet it somehow and it, it just imagine, sort of does it. imagine if this song was on side two where he didn't have the backing band you know keeping up the tempo to 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 you know keep the song going it would feel real long well there is an acoustic version i think it was like an earlier take that got released on one of the i think it was a bootleg thing and it is a little dull without the band like this is a rock and roll song it, it as, a, as a as a seven minute folk song it, it does drag but as a rock and roll song it, it, it it's great yeah, I was going to mention that there is, of course, the the initial version on the the cutting edge, the bootleg series, and I was until I got in that set. I of course the, the, this song is particularly notable because it has the false start. It has the great false start where Bob starts to play, and then the band is presumably supposed to come in, and they don't, and that's what starts uh, the producer Tom Wilson laughing, and they left it in. Now it wasn't until the bootleg series version came out that I learned that this. The the you know released version on bringing it all back home is a is a stitch 
job of those two versions. The, the, the false start is from the acoustic version. And then they took that and grafted it onto the electric band version. Uh, I guess, uh. again, it, it kind of to announce itself a little. I mean, it's setting the tone of, okay, this is not going to be terribly serious because we're going to have, we literally have the audio of the producer chuckling as it cuts in. You hear him say, you know, take two. And then it cuts into the, the band version. But I had always thought that it was the reason why Tom Wilson was laughing is because the band came in late. But that isn't the case. It's, I think, it's Bob flubbed it or, or did something wrong that made them start over and they decided to stitch it together, which is, again, is a very curious choice on Bob Dylan slash Tom Wilson's part. Yeah, I'd, I'd always assumed that it was uh, Bob wasn't used to playing with a band and so just started playing and didn't, didn't make sure that everyone else was on board because he's pretty new to it at this time. So. Yeah, it's like that nice moment on the Beatles anthology. I don't know if you'll remember this, Alex, where John plays the first chord of a song and stops and says, oh, you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is like a, a created moment. It wasn't just accidental humor they left in. It was like edited together in, in humor put in on purpose, which is interesting. Yeah. You don't think of Bob as doing stuff like that. No, I mean, you can't, uh, outside of uh, Nashville Skyline, where the one point where you hear in a, to be alone with you where you hear Bob Dylan say to producer Bob Johnson, is it rolling Bob? Uh, like that's the only other time you can really hear where he's talking to the producer. Uh, and which is, again, it's, it's, it's unique in the Dylan can. So the song continues. He says, I think I'll call it America. I said, as we hit land, I took a deep breath. I fell down. I could not stand captain. A rabbi started writing up some deeds. He said, let's set up a fort and start buying a place with beads. Just then this cop come down the street, crazy as a loon, he throws us all in jail for carrying harpoons. And this is, I mean, ah, me, I busted out. Don't even ask me how. I went to get some help. I walked by a Guernsey cow who directed me down to the Bowery slums where people carried signs around saying, ban the bums. I jumped right into line saying, I hope that I'm not late. But I realized I hadn't eaten for five days straight. What, why, why does this song work for you guys? I mean, what is it about that you, that you like so much about? What, was it, did, you, did it take to it immediately or was it something that sort of, uh, built over time why don't you start alex yeah i mean i i love how many like time uh like temporal contradictions there are you know he's talking about okay they're they're riding on the the mayflower but they're it seems like they're you know whale hunting and like this is this is moby dick you know there's a there's a a, a reference to captain arab instead of captain ahab which is i don't know if that would pass the sniff test in in 2021 <laughs> um but, you know, uh, and then he's, he's saying, cut the engines, change the sails. But what on what kind of ship do you have both engines and sails? <laughs> um, I never thought about that. <laughs> and, and then he says, you know, haul on the bowline. Um, we sang that melody. So haul on the bowline is actually an, an old sea shanty, uh, which, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, you know, and I, and I, you know, I love that. Yeah, I think we'll call it America. Like, wait, is this not America yet? And then there's a cop there. Um, I just love how how sort of displaced we are in time and how confusing it is, you know. And I think that the, uh, another thing that the intro does is it sets up not only that this song is funny, but also you're not going to know what the hell is going on in this song. Yeah, I the thing one of the things I like about this song is that it underlines uh, one of the things I like best about Dylan's songwriting is that the world that his songs take place in which it, it appears over and over uh, is this mixture of uh, uh, real life people and characters from literature and mythology. And sometimes it's the present and sometimes it's hundreds of years ago, but it's all the same. It's all mixed together. And I think that's kind of an underrated and really 
influential part of his songwriting. Like I think without songs like this, you wouldn't get like Robert Hunter and Robbie Robertson. And it's no coincidence that he ended up working with both those guys. I mean, I, I think that's so cool. Just, I don't know when and where this is, but I love visiting this place. It's, it reminds me of sort of a, a sillier version of uh, Desolation Row and that it's like, you know, the, 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 our narrator is arriving in this area and everything is just chaotic and everybody is doing the opposite of sort of what you expect. Uh, you know, the, the, it's, and everyone is sort of um, casting judgment uh, left and right and everyone is sort of behaving differently than what you would sort of expect. And there's this, and it's, it, to me, it has that same kind of feeling to it. Now, this is obviously meant to be a lot, it's meant to be silly and very funny and juvenile in a lot of ways. And Desolation Row was very much not, but to me, it has that same kind of feeling of like, this is just, I mean, we'll, we'll get to the end of the song. Presumably he's, you know, he's, he's about to meet Christopher Columbus, who presumably is supposed to quote unquote discover America. But of course, everything's already here. We've got cops. We've got, you know, there's, we've got America's already running up and running by the time this young Bob Dylan pirate Bob Dylan. Again, I've said in other shows, I really think in another life, Bob imagined himself as a pirate. I really think that was his, <laughs> as his sort of his life. But it has that same idea. And just the idea that like, even the narrator doesn't even know who he is because like, he jumps in line uh, to say, ban the bombs. And then he realizes, you know, geez, I hope I'm not late because he wants to you know, be against these guys. And then I realize I hadn't eaten for five days straight. So he's like, oh, geez, who am I to to ban the bums when I'm a bum myself. I haven't eaten for five days. So everything is just constantly not what you expect it to be. And it just has that forward momentum. And I also love that the lines, the, uh, all the lines are incredibly short uh, for a long song. It's like, it's every line is three or four words and he's moving on to the next line and it just moves so fast. And the band is playing very frenetically. I can always imagine trying to keep up with him of going through all this. And, you know, we talked about the, the uh, acoustic version. He's not as the vocal is not as sure there. He takes pauses. He stretches some words out. He doesn't seem as certain. But this one, he is just ripping through it sort of as fast as possible. I almost, I almost wonder if it isn't just to keep himself from laughing because the whole thing is just so absurd. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm also, by the way, glad you mentioned Motorcycle Nightmare because I think it took me a couple of years before I realized these weren't the same song. <laughs> but I think this is an improvement over Motorcycle Nightmare. But yes. melodically, I think they're the exact same. And Rob, Rob you said something about uh, how, how he arrives in America and, and it's, you know, like it's very much already here and already still running, like already running. But it's also like a very distinctive, like mid sixties um, America, you know, like, like the phrase ban the bums wouldn't be relevant now uh, uh, without, you know, a ban the bombs, ban the bomb, um, uh, you know, counterculture protest movement, you know, a, a, a building saying advertising brotherhood or like, an Englishman says fab. So I, yeah. you know, I love that it, it transports us back to what he was hoping was going to be the modern world. But listening to this song, you know, whatever 50, whatever years later, it's, it's a very different world that he's talking about that he lands in. Yeah. Uh, the song goes on. He says, he says, I went into a restaurant looking for the cook. I told him I was the editor of a famous etiquette book. The waitress, he was handsome. He wore a powder blue cape. I ordered some Suzette. I said, could you please make that crepe? Just then the whole kitchen exploded from boiling fat. Food was flying everywhere. I left without my hat. And by the way, I love that when he sings that, he gets he leans a little too close into the mic. And you've got that kind of like sound, which as far <laughs> as I understand, if you're a professional musician, you're not supposed to get that sound. Like that's a, there's, you know, like you're supposed to be like retake that. But Bob, you know, he leaves that in, of course. 
Now, I didn't mean to be nosy, but I went into a bank to get some bail from Ray Rab and all the boys back in the tank. They asked me for some collateral, and I pulled down my pants. They threw me in the alley. When up comes this girl from France who invited me to her house, I went, but she had a friend who knocked me out and robbed my boots, and I was on the street again. Um, and then when I wrapped upon a house with the U.S. flagged upon display, I said, could you help me out? I got some friends down the way. The man says, get out of here. I'll tell you limb from limb. I said, you know, they refused Jesus too. He said, you're not him. Get out of here before I break your bones. I ain't your pop. I decided to have him arrested. And then I went looking for a cop. I will tell you my favorite line, I think in the whole song is the, you know, they refused. I'll tell you limb from limb. I said, you know, they refused Jesus too. He said, you're not him. I love that. You know, the sort of pointing out of the hypocrisy of, of uh, a supposed devout religious person that has, you know, sympathy and caring for Jesus, but not any of his fellow man. And even in a song as silly as this, I love that Bob sort of sticks that dig in. I also love that he's the editor of a famous etiquette book, not not the author. That's just yeah, just not the a writer. Yeah, choice. he's the editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I never noticed that that that, he, that he's only the editor. Yeah. That's <laughs> and he mentions the waitress, and the waitress is a is a he though. Uh, which we typically assign waitress to being a woman and he's run into waitresses of course in other songs but you know, again it's like bob's just sort of having fun here he's just throwing every sort of discordant note he can throw in he's going to do it in the song and none of it makes any sense and that's fine it's not meant to it reminds me i mean the the pull down my pants line is very juvenile very silly it's one of the more lascivious lines at least in early bob dylan uh, in terms of its, well, it's, it's some later lines are a little more coded, but that's, you know, kind of very juvenile, but this thing has a kind of mad magazine energy to it. Uh, in some ways, I don't know if either one of you guys ever read mad or whether it would kind of came and went long before you guys were really around. Yeah, that, no, I, I totally know what you mean. Okay. In that magazine, they used to do, uh, drawings in the margins. They were, and they were literally called marginals and they're by a, a great artist named Sergio Aragones and who's who is still around and he would uh draw little cartoons in the panel borders of the pages so you're looking at the story whatever you're reading some parody or something and then there would be jokes buried inside the margins of the pages themselves as if mad magazine was trying to give you jokes up until the absolute end of the page like just trying to cram as much as they could into any given area that you were looking at they were trying to stick a joke in there and that's that to me that's what this song has that feel to it where it's just there's so much imagery they're trying to keep up with none of it makes really any sense that it to me it has that mad magazine energy to it and mad magazine in 1965 was at the height of its popularity basically but to me it has that similar somewhat pointed point of view about about modern society but also being very very silly yeah, agree with that. And it, it even comes into his rhyming scheme. Going back to your the the powder blue cape line, the waitress he was handsome. He wore a powder blue cape. I ordered that Suzette. I said, "Could you meet? Please make that crepe." I, you know, I'm, I'm just imagining what was going through Bob Dylan, who you know, Nobel laureate poet. Um, <laughs> you know, just kind of trying to think of what rhymes with cape and going, "Wow, crepe does well. How do how do I get to how do I get to crepe from that?" <laughs> order that Suzette could I said could you please make that crepe I just I, I love how lousy that uh, that, that rhyme is but it's one of my favorites <laughs> you're saying I, it in a way that nobody does nobody would ever order can I get Suzette oh yeah make it crepe like no one talks like that could you please make that crepe like, yeah. like pointing to the picture on the, in the menu or something yeah 
So he continues on and he says, I ran right outside and I hopped inside a cab. I went out the other door. This Englishman said fab, which is great. That's great. That's, you know, yeah, that's, that's another one of those lines that you're, <laughs> you, you feel like he kind of stretched for. Yeah, I got to get from here to here, <laughs> how to connect them. It's also something right out of A Hard Day's Night. Because it's like, that's literally like some of the gags in that movie where the Beatles are being chased by girls and they run into a cab in one door and they run out the other door. I mean, it's literally something out of that movie, which I'm just Bob probably saw by this point. So he says, and he uh, he saw me leap a hot dog stand and a chariot that stood parked across from a building advertising brotherhood. I ran right through the front door like a hobo sailor does, but it was just a funeral parlor. And the man asked me who I was. I repeated that my friends were all in jail with a sigh. He said, gave me his card. He said, call me if they die. And again, a great, that's Love great. That line. The, the extension of the caring this guy has is, oh, if your friends die, then I'm interested. I shook his hand and said goodbye. I ran out to the street when a bowling ball came down the road and knocked me off my feet. A payphone was ringing. It just about blew my mind. When I picked it up and said hello, this foot came through the line. Again, now we're just like, all right, Bob, like, what? <laughs> yeah. He's, now that's Mad Magazine. That's Man Magazine. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a random bowling ball comes out of nowhere. A random foot comes through the line of the payphone. Yeah. I, and which, which is, you know, another thing that sets us in, uh, in 1965. What, 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 what payphones are in this world anymore? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. There'll be a generation that's like, what's a payphone? I don't even know what that yeah, is anymore. Yeah. Um, so then he said, he continues on. He says, well, by this time I was fed up at trying to make a stab and bringing back any help from my friends and Captain Arab. I decided to kip a, flip a coin, like either heads or tails, would let me know if I should go back to the ship or back to jail. So I hocked my sailor suit and I got a coin to flip. It came up tails. It rhymes with sails. So I made it back to the ship. <laughs> He's talking to himself there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, I, I just love this. Like, like the momentum of, of how he sings uh, this verse is, is my favorite of all of them. Like, Came up sails and it rhymes, it rhymes with sail. It came up tails, it rhymes with sails. So I made it back to the ship. Just like the the way it flows and comes out is is just glorious. I do wonder what the alt lyrics are to this song. You know, like I don't know. I don't. I've never seen any other alternate versions. But I mean, I wonder how many other chunks of the story he had that he whittled down to this. You know, six and a half minutes. I don't know. I wonder if at this point it was just on the page, into the microphone, onto a record. I wonder how much editing he was doing at this point. He was, he was pretty, uh, pretty sped up at this point. Yeah, it's true. Um, so he says, he continues, well, I got back and took the parking ticket off the, sh- off the mast. I was ripping it to shreds when this Coast Guard boat went past. Again, I love the idea that your, your ship got a parking ticket. That's great. <laughs> you park, park this you know, giant uh, schooner, and it's got, a, uh, it's got a parking ticket on. They asked me my name, and I said, Captain Kidd. They believed me, but they wanted to know what exactly what I did. I said, for the Pope of Iruk, I was employed. They only go right away. They were very paranoid. I, I still do not know what the Pope of Iruk is. I guess I could look it up. I've never bothered to. Uh, but it's one of the more obscure references in a Bob Dylan song. And again, you're talking about Alex, the way he sort of, in the previous verse, the way he does the ship and flip. I love the way he sings this. I said, for the Pope of Iruk. I was employed. Like it's this sort of breathless. He's spitting it out like almost two words at a time. I would look up the Pope of Arook, but I think it's probably him misreading his own handwriting. I mean, I want to give him more credit than that, but it looks like a typo. What do you think? Oh, really? What do you, what do you think it might no. be then? <laughs> I, I actually have no idea. I, I think um, it looks almost like a misspelling of Europe, but no, I'm sure it's just some very hip reference I don't get. <laughs> He's been known to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> oh, well, so, okay. And I'm looking it up right here. Uh, not a real person, 
Just a jokey name made a jokey made up name. Eruk is Greek for restrain, curb, or hold back. So he's the Pope of Eruk is the Pope of Restraint. So there you go. Now uh-huh. I know everybody. I've I've only had the song in my head for thirty years. Thanks, Google. I never looked it up before. So but we but we thought it must be real, right? Because I guess we're very paranoid as well. It sounded <laughs> it plausible. Somewhat important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then he finally wraps the, the story up. Well, at last I heard of Arab, he was stuck on a whale that was married to the deputy sheriff of the jail. But the funniest thing was when I was leaving the bay, I saw three ships to sail and they were all heading my way. I asked the captain what his name was and how come he didn't drive a truck. He said his name was Columbus. I just said, good luck. A it's marvelous a way, marvelous way to end this song. It's, it's such a like dad joke kind of thing. <laughs> uh, it has that same kind of feel to it of just like, it's the song circles in on itself is that Christopher Columbus is coming to discover America. But of course, America's already been discovered because Bob's already had this adventure, but that's, it's again, such a great way to wrap up the song. The whole thing is like a seven minute Rodney Dangerfield routine where you can't stop listening because you just want to get to the next joke. And that's why you don't notice that it's been going on for over six minutes. <laughs> yeah, something- I, I, I agree that this, this is just the, the absolute perfect way to wrap up the song and, and makes me, makes me love it. And you know, it's, it's another example of, of how like anachronistic, like, like this is uh, what a perfect dream he's having that nothing makes sense. Uh, but it all kind of does, and it all kind of fits together in this weird way. Yeah, it has, as I said, a wonderfully sort of cyclical uh, kind of feel to it, is that it's 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 ending at the beginning, which some of his other songs have had, like All Along the Watchtower kind of has that feeling too. Where you feel like it's, oh, we're kind of wrapping back. The two riders are approaching. That feels like where the song started, but now that's where we're ending. This song could have kept going following Christopher Columbus if it wanted to, but no, we're sailing off with Bob Dylan all by himself on the, the ship. Yeah, we're just going to have to wait for Bob Dylan's 274th dream to get the rest of the story. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is kind of the last... I mean, he would write other funny songs. You mentioned Leopards Can Pull Bucks Hat. And of course, a lot of his other songs have a great amount of humor in them. George Harrison famously said, you know, Bob Dylan, everybody thinks he's so serious, but he's such a joker, really. But this was really the, the last song I can sort of think of that he would write that would be this directly silly uh, that it was just from the very get go, not to be at all, not at all to be sort of taken seriously. And I feel like he would never quite feel that loose ever again, because of course the album after this was highway 61 and all of a sudden things just probably got a lot heavier. It's just, I can't picture, I mean, you know, I mean, he did stuff with the Woolberries that is pretty silly. Uh, but even mm. then that's under a pseudonym, but this is just, this is the kind of thing that, his first couple of records are loaded with these sorts of songs. And then after that, he really kind of didn't, I, I can't imagine the Bob Dylan of, you know, even 10 years later doing something like this. I mean, I could be wrong, but uh, it just feels like this is, this was a particular phase in his life that was distinctly put away not too long after this. And, and I, I feel like it was, it was part of the same sort of rebellion that the, um, uh, you know, having a full band behind him was you know he's a folk singer and and it was a lot of it was uh you know uh protest songs and he's being put on a on a pedestal as this wonderful protest singer um who should be listened to and so so you know as a consequence he's saying you know, I'm, I'm gonna make these absolutely stupid silly songs and i'm no longer a folk singer i'm gonna have a full backing band i i feel like it was it was part of that same 
uh, sort of he didn't feel comfortable in the skin that society had put him in. Uh, so he moved on and, and reinvented himself. Yeah, I'll show you a spokesman. I'm going to sing about pulling my pants down, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm going to sort of purposely do something as sort of as silly as possible. Uh, and just, uh, and again, we think about that it ends side one and then side two of this record is a lot more serious. I mean, all of a sudden you got Tambourine Man, which we just talked about a couple episodes ago, Gates of Eden, uh, you know, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, and It's All Right, Mom. I mean, kind of very heavy songs. So he's sort of loaded up side one with sort of the, the sillier material. And then it's like, he's sort of setting you up for, okay, well, we're, the things are going to get a lot to, a lot more serious when you flip the, uh, flip the vinyl over. Now, obviously, despite what I just said about Bob, not maybe feeling comfortable doing this. I mean, he did do that cover of his own song, going to change my way of thinking with Mavis Staples, which features a straight up comedy sketch in the beginning of the song. So, I mean, Bob, you know, Bob's willing to be silly when he wants. And obviously this is not something unlike other songs that we've talked about, this is not something that he put away forever. This song has been performed live six times. That's it. Six times in the last 55 years, but they were all played in one straight chunk. He played it every night from October 13th, 1988 to October 19th, 1988. And you can actually find one of those versions on YouTube. uh, Obviously a, a bootleg, but it's sort of remarkable to hear old craggy Bob Dylan voice sing this song like old old man bob dylan singing this and so obviously he had there was something about it that tickled his fancy because he dug it out 40 years later and decided to do it six nights in a row yeah and that rock that 88 version's rocking i was listening to that earlier today it sounds great yeah <laughs> there was one week in 1988 when he remembered this song and that was it you have to wonder if that was somebody in the band you know that was like hey bob what about this song oh, oh yeah you try that, but I mean, it's, it's so funny that it got, it got a six night tryout and then that was it. Once again, retired forever. But I, f- I feel like I've done, I've gone through similar phases with this song where I, I rediscover it and I go, oh my God, this song is so funny. And that Columbus ending, oh, it's so great. And then, and then you listen to it a couple times and you're like, okay, this one could go back on the shelf for a while. <laughs> and I, I, I wonder if that's why they, they ended side two with this song um, to make it, make it easier to skip. Because it's it's a little bit more of a controversial song, so similar to what they did with you know with um, within you without you on Sergeant Pepper, uh, they suspected that people wouldn't want to listen to uh, this weird sitar song, and so they put it as the first song on side two so that they could skip it. Interesting. And and uh, you know where where side two, one ends and where side two starts, you kind of have to go looking for it. With, with you know with 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 this album, it's the the line is pretty stark because he goes from uh, from electric to um, to acoustic. But for a lot of albums, you got to go. Oh, that I guess that is the end of side one. Interesting. <laughs> uh, I said I would love it. It would be so fun to hear him pull this out again. You never know with him. Uh, but I mean, the fact that again, it even got a, a, a tryout for a couple of nights is sort of interesting. The only uh, cover that I'm familiar with is the one by Taj Mahal on the Chimes of Freedom covers record. Have you guys heard that one? I haven't, no. That I is, listened to it earlier today, yeah. That is fun. That is real. I love his kind of growly voice that he does this thing. And he manages to do the whole song in like five minutes flat. Like he manages to... <laughs> and that's I a feat. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I wasn't paying super attention to whether he cut out, cut out any of the verses. I don't think that he did. I think he just sings it at a double pace, and he gets a six and a half minute song done in like five minutes and change. 
if he did that without cue cards, I'm very impressed. But I, I'll bet <laughs> I, I, I would I would bet money that in the studio he had index cards with the first line of each verse written down on them. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, imagine trying to remember all the crazy twists and turns that this thing makes. So yeah, I mean, I said it's it's a fun song. It's a really is this the kind of thing you guys would have you guys ever tried to cover a Bob Dylan song? Let me ask you that. Uh, either in concert or just privately when you're you're not you know playing around. Yeah, we've done uh, if not for you. Which is, you know, and we sort of did the more the George Harrison side of things for that side, that song. I think that's it. What about, can you think of any other, Spencer? Yeah, I think so. I, I, we actually uh, stopped rehearsing covers after when the pandemic started and we refocused on writing instead of uh, covers. But I think um, I think I was pitching um, Bo- Born in Time. I think I pitched oh, doing Born wow. in Time, but we never got around to it. That's ambitious. I love that one. I love Born in Time. So uh, I said, it's 115th Dream. It's a lot of fun. It's very silly. Uh, As we said at the top of the show, it seems like the kind of song that you would maybe think would, you know, wear out its welcome at at, at this length. Uh, But it somehow doesn't. It remains really fun. Part of it, again, as as we were talking about, that the the acoustic version does kind of drag. So it really is essential that he had the band uh, with him playing. And you can sort of see why he was, like, at this point, he felt the need to, you know, I want to have a band with me. There's some stuff I want to do that I can't do acoustically. And so it's the kind of thing that would work, um, you know, with, with a band performance. And those guys are really uh, rip roaring uh, through the song. So it's a lot of fun. Um, so, so fellas, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on to talk about this uh, very silly song. Thanks. Thanks for having us. I'm very welcome. So uh, before I ask uh, you where they can find, people can find uh, your music. I have to ask both of you the question I've been asking everybody so far. So, Bob's coming back on tour. We all know that. And you guys, uh, well, I'll let you each answer instead of having to be one collective answer. Bob comes to each one of you and he says, hey, Alex, hey, Spencer, uh, what song do you want to hear me open the show with? What song of all songs would you want to hear Bob, uh, Bob open your show with? So, Spencer, we'll start with you. I would say the groom's still waiting at the altar. I think it's one of his best rock and roll songs and it always just sort of gets me excited. I would love to hear him open with that. That'd be awesome. Solid answer. I've got to say Visions of Johanna. That's my all-time favorite Bob Dylan song. I guess it's not much of an opener, but <laughs> oh, I just love it. It would be ambitious, that's for sure, to start a, start the show with Visions of Johanna. Although with him, he'd probably do like a rocked-up version, and uh, you wouldn't know it was Visions of Johanna until you heard the word Johanna in it. you go, oh, well, that's what... Oh, okay. All right, great. Cool. Now I know what it is. All right. Well, that's solid. Both... Both very, very good choices. So, well, again, guys, thank you so much for doing the show. I very much appreciate it. Why don't you tell people where they can find your music out there on the internet? Uh, well, it's uh, our band's called Old Hillman, and the album's called Desert Driftwood. And it's wherever music is streaming, Spotify, Apple Music. I think all the stuff's on YouTube. Did I, did I get, get everything, Alex? I think so, yeah. Outstanding. All right. Well, again, guys, thanks so much for coming by. And Spencer, don't make it another four years. Let's not. Alex, again, and thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everybody. Of course, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on any podcatcher of your choice. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krogh, George Doherty, and Joaquin Meckel for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. That's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. <laughs> Wait a minute, (laughs) Dad.
Okay, take two. <laughs> <laughs>